GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Kelly M. Borge. What does the future of Gampa look like? Tanya Santini McClelland has taken over as director. The Nautilus Project, the marine conservation charity, has seen an influx of youngsters joining up to volunteer this year. We hear from two of them, Emily Rees and Connor Stevens. Are you a football fan? Local YouTube vlogger Aidan Brito is making waves online. But first, recruitment for a new stipendary magistrate is underway. News editor Christine Vasquez brings us the latest on our top story. Yes, Kelly, so the vacancy has come out today. Um, as you said earlier, it's been advertised with a salary of just over £109,000. The successful candidate will split their time 80 to 20, on an 80 to 20 basis between being stipendary magistrate and coroner. The position is open to barristers and solicitors. That's in uh, in Gibraltar and also from the UK. It's for a fixed term of three years and the closing date for application submissions is Friday the 24th of November. And in the meantime, while that recruitment process is underway, what plans are in place at the Magistrates Court to make sure things are kept ticking along? So the Chief Justice expects the appointment to be filled by early next year. Um, in the meantime, the Justices of the Peace and the Court Registrar uh, can sit as ad, who can also sit as an additional stipendary. Uh, they've been doing the work uh, in, in the interim period. Interesting timing as well, because of course a gap will now need to be filled at the Supreme Court as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that puny Judge Karen Ramajra Prescott has taken that position as Speaker of Parliament. That's right. And the compliment for the Supreme Court is the Chief Justice and three puny judges. They're going to be one down when uh, Karen Ramaya Prescott takes up the post of Speaker. And I'm going to state the obvious here, but it's not easy being a judge. It takes a very, very clever person. It's not something that just any lawyer can do. Um, and the service has certainly noticed the addition of the latest judges of John Restano and Liam Yates, The workload, I think, must have really increased at the Supreme Court um, and it's been doing an excellent job. We've been seeing crazy, crazy complex judgments. Um, The chief executive of the court service, Hazel Kumbo, told the Chronicle the Supreme Court diary will be impacted, but that this will be kept to a minimum. And we know that the government, uh, according to its manifesto over the elections, is committed to continue to provide funding for a fourth judge. One thing, talking of the GSLP Liberals' manifesto, interestingly, uh, a pledge to explore the possibility of establishing community courts to resolve local issues and enhance community engagement. This would be something new in Gibraltar. There's a model in the Commonwealth countries, in Australia, in Canada, and of course in the UK. And it's a neighbourhood-focused problem-solving court for local crime and safety issues something which could work in Gibraltar. The Gibraltar Academy of Music and Performing Arts, Gampa, has a new director. Now, Christian Santos has taken his position as government minister. So Tanya Santini-McClellan takes over the position and joins me now. Good afternoon, Tanya. Thank you for coming in. Afternoon, Kalian. So, Tanya, you've really been at the heart of Gampa really since its inception, right? So how do you feel now to be in, in the position of director? 
Um, well, it's a it's a challenge, um, but I'm very excited about it. And to be honest, um, I'm enjoying it. Like you said, I've been there from the very beginning. So, and me and Christian worked very closely together. So it's just kind of like a little step forward. <laughs> I imagine you're really missing uh, the minister, <laughs> Minister I Santos. I do, I do yeah. miss Minister Santos. I imagine Santos the, the office very, is a bit quieter without yes, him. Yes, <laughs> very, very much. Um, we do miss him, having him around. Okay, so what's the future of Gampa looking like, Tanya? What are some of your plans uh, moving forward? Um, we actually have a very busy time ahead. Um, the choir will be, has has booked for quite a few events. We'll be performing in Festival of Lights. Um, then we're also visiting a few old people's homes that we usually do in Christmas. We have a big show coming up in the first week of December, which is a, a whole Gampa production a play called I Believe in Unicorns, which will be releasing very shortly. Then we have another kind of Christmas recital. Um, we have a play coming up in two weeks in the magazine. So it's an extremely busy time for us. So yeah, Gampa is just going from strength to strength, to be honest. In terms of studying the arts, I really feel like um, attitudes have changed, haven't they, over the years? We now have the BTEC Level 3 course in performance offered in schools. Uh, the BTEC in music was introduced a couple of years ago. So how have you seen um, this kind of attitude to perhaps not only uh, pursuing academic routes in education? I think it's been, um, especially for me, like a really welcomed kind of shift in attitude. I remember when when I was young and I said that I wanted to study drama, there was a lot of like really weird faces and why are you going to do that and you're going to spend your life unemployed. And I think through Gampa and other people in the arts in Gibraltar have shown that you can make a career out of it. And I think the beta courses are really, really important because hopefully out of those courses, more more people in Gibraltar will be able to pursue a career in the performing arts. Tell us a little bit more about that background you have in drama and what's led you uh, to receiving this position now. Um, well, I started acting Oh my God! <laughs> when as a child, I was a baby. As a child, <laughs> yeah, I danced first. I started dancing when I was four, and then I kind of discovered acting around eleven um, with Doctor Cement, and I did my first drama festival, and that's it. I I was hooked. I knew that that was what what I wanted to do. Um, so I went to study drama and theatre arts in Liverpool University. Then I continued my training in Drama Studio London. And then I had different jobs. I ended up working in, on cruise ships. Then I ended up living in Canada because my husband's Canadian. And then coming back. And when I came back, one of the first things that I started doing was starting um, to teach in what was then Santos Productions Academy, which later became, which later became Gampa. And now as director, do you feel like you almost have to put your creative side to to one side a little bit or do you still very much get involved in the classes like what what is a day-to-day um like for you now obviously in the mornings um i'm doing a lot of admin and it's the day-to-day but um definitely not leaving my creative side behind um i've had to cut down a little bit on the on the class classes that i teach just because of of time constraints but um i still am very involved in directing the shows and and the classes and keeping all the creative juices of Gampa flowing because I think I think that's that's very important.
We recently spoke to some of the students involved in Little White Lies and some of the other productions that you've been holding. And uh, it very much was that they were working as a team, but working on different roles to kind of get different experiences. So is this something that you want to um, develop further? Students, even if they're perhaps most interested in acting or dancing, you're really kind of encouraging them to try all the different roles. Yeah, definitely. And as a director, that's one of my my passions, that I would love to see more student-led productions like Little White Lies because even though we are trained the actors and musicians um, but not everybody's going to end up being an actor or a musician so I do want to encourage the students that are maybe interested in writing or interested in directing or the technical side of it as well is very important like the sound and lights um, set design, set construction Um, when we think about the theatre and film we normally just think of the actors but in reality there's a hundred different careers related with the with the theater industry and so in gampa i would like to see more people um exploring other areas of of the theater industry which i think is very important especially if we're going to have a new national theater Definitely. And when projects like this, like Little White Lies, for example, they're they're student-led projects. So how do you find the students really blossoming when they're given that responsibility? You you do see the the big change in them. And I think a little bit, um, it's a little bit emotional, emotional roller coaster, you know, at the beginning, very excited. Then um, they find out that it's not as easy as, as it looks and it has the challenges. But then in the end, when they when they see the final product, like when the director sees the play and the audience enjoys in it and stuff, um, it's a very rewarding experience. And I think that helps them grow immensely, not only as directors or actors or playwrights, but just as a person. Um, there are a lot of transferable skills that these kids will take to whatever job they decide to go for in the future. I think one um, thing that most people know about Gamper over the years, you've built a very strong reputation for working hard. Now your students are very disciplined. Um, so how would you describe the like a day-to-day uh, life in Gamper when it comes to the students? Just how many hours are they putting into this work? Well, it depends on the students. We do have some students that just come maybe for half an hour and learn the piano and learn the guitar. Um, but then we do have some very committed students who spend half their lives there poor, poor things sometimes we joke it's like but they oh, love it yeah 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 <laughs> and, they wouldn't, and, we, I and we love having them having them around but we do expect um a lot of commitment from from our students and and hard work and discipline but like i said i think these are skills that will be beneficial to them as a person in the future no matter what job they decide to do and they come out stronger and better and being able to handle anything we uh, have a little clip of Gamper performing at the fair this year. I imagine you must feel so proud when you're able to take all the work they've done and take it out into the public for them to enjoy. So shall we have a little listen? Sure.
What a voice. I mean, that was just like phone footage taken from your Facebook page. But my gosh, the vocals are on your team are incredible. Yes, we do have some amazing performers and some um, which are like really young now. But I think in a few years time, they'll, they'll be quite, quite remarkable. I was going to say there are quite a few um, youngsters that were kind of grown up seeing, starting even from, you know, Santos Choir and then mm-hmm. moving up now that are doing so well in the UK. So that must make you so proud when you see them being so successful. Yeah, for me, actually, that is probably like the the most um, that I take from this job is like, of course, when we do the big productions and stuff, I am very proud. But like it's the own little personal journeys. And when you see a student that maybe you've had since they were like, six or seven and now the young adults and living in London or England and doing really well and you know that you've been a little bit of of their story that you've contributed in in some way towards that that for me is the most rewarding part of the job. And do you often see students who start who are perhaps quite shy and then perhaps, I don't know, within the space of a week, month, maybe even a year, they turn to almost a different person? Oh, yes. <laughs> we've seen it. We've seen it a lot, especially when when the younger maybe comes to the first performance or the first show and they're really, really nervous and and maybe they come and they say, I don't want to do it. and kind of have to encourage them and then once they're on stage once they do it and you see the faces you know come up of of the stage and they're all lit up and they've enjoyed it so much and they ask you when's the next show when are we going to do the next show you know so that that is beautiful to see I imagine you still feel that way to a certain extent. When's the next time you're going to be on stage, Tanya? Um, oof. <laughs> I don't know. If this you find year, the time if, to. If I find the time. I, I do have a project in mind for the drama festival, but I do think I'll be directing more, more than acting. Do you find that you enjoy that more now? Or is it just a I still have a to choice. say that I think acting is still my preferred <laughs> choice. Yeah. Well, you have a brizzy, a very busy Christmas period ahead. Uh, just tell us about some highlights we can look forward to over the next couple of months. Um, one thing that I'm very excited about is we're doing a collaboration with Possibilities. And I don't want to say too much about it because it's a, it's a big surprise. But we do have a project that we're working on together. And I think um, the Gibraltarian community is going to really like it. Well, the Nautilus Project, the marine conservation charity, has seen an influx of youngsters joining up to volunteer this year. 75 new teens, very impressive. And a couple of them join me now. 16-year-old Emily Reese. good afternoon. Good afternoon. And also 17-year-old Connor Stevens. So thank you very much for coming in today. Especially, I know, Emily, you're mid-term break, so even, <laughs> even more grateful that you've managed to come in. Uh, tell us, uh, how have you got involved in the Nautilus Project? What led you to volunteering with them? Um, I think... Uh, I was got in, got into volunteering with them through uh, hearing about their beach cleans, and then um, I decided to do the um, Bronze Duke of Edin- Edinburgh, and I then used them as my um, uh, volunteering like sector for that. So you can tick that box yeah. now, yeah. Um, and then I did my silver with them too, so I've been volunteering with them for a few years now, um, and now I'm just volunteering as uh, a Med Ocean hero. Because you've enjoyed it so much, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. That's amazing. What about you, Connor? What first led you to the charity? Well, it was uh, mental health. Uh, my therapist said to join like some sort of volunteering thing. And I've heard of the Nautilus Project a lot before. And I've always been a bit interested in it. So I went to like one 
I th think it was a beach clean or something like that. And yeah, they've just been amazing. Did you find that it has helped with your mental health over the time that you've worked with them? Yeah, it's, it's been really fun, like meeting new people and they've helped me get like my diving licence and that's, you know, it's amazing. That is amazing. So you are both, you both form part of the scuba team now. So tell us about the process on, on how you managed to like get that uh, achievement and how you managed to learn how to scuba dive. Well, I, I didn't actually do my, my uh, scuba diving course with them, but um, I, I got it a couple of years ago. I think it was for my 14th birthday because I really wanted to do it. That's a very cool 14th birthday <laughs> present. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very fun. Um, and then I've been doing, I've done a couple of dives with them. It's been very fun. We've done a few seabed cleans. And they really just bring a lot of opportunities. And I, I love working with them, to be honest. You, Connor, how, how did you find the process, Connor? Well, it was really, like, easy. It just felt natural and... You were meant to be under the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there wasn't any complications or anything. And they're all so sweet and, yeah. Lovely. And when you do do the, the beach cleans that I know that the charity, uh, they hold those regularly and it's always um, equally impressive and terrifying to see just how much litter they're still being thrown at our beaches. You guys then base under the water when you go to these beach cleans? Uh, yeah, so usually um, we do, uh, there'll be a beach clean on the shore and then there'll be a sea, seabed clean. Not not all the time, but um, when they can, especially when they do one in Brosia, they they tend to... Um, get a dive team sorted to do that so then you know we're not only focusing on the land we've actually got in the sea as well and getting all that rubbish which tends to be forgotten about and what kind of items do you find um newspaper a lot of newspaper really? okay that's surprising up. i haven't seen much of that <laughs> and like bottles <laughs> i imagine yeah we, we, lots of, we got bunch bunch last time didn't yeah, we lots of glass bottles um i think they one time they picked out this massive, massive sign, that road sign or something, and crazy stuff. So all sorts. Yes. You were both also involved in the mural that was um, painted at, uh, was it Bayside uh, Sports Complex? Uh, yeah, in, yeah, near Victoria Stadium. Yeah. yeah, so what was the thought process behind that mural? I, I think the area, to be honest, looks a bit bleak, so they wanted a bit of uh, life brought there, and I think it was, you know, really thought what better way to do to you know to do it than also you know raise awareness for the endangered species so all the species on the mural are species found in Gibraltar so it's it's really you know hits close to home and it allows people to see what we're harming through that you know what we're doing what are the different species that are that form part of this piece oh, we had there was um, a black-faced blenny we had on the seabed. Uh, 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 there was um, tuna. We had um, mauve stingers, which are the ones you get in the summer. We haven't had many of those recently, actually. But um, we had those. What else? What else? Do you know any of the other species that were on there? I know... Um... I'm really bad with names, but <laughs> I've know I've um, included a couple rays. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, it looked beautiful. I have to say, I don't know what kind of art experience you guys have, but that must have been a challenge, no? Because it, it it's not just informative, but it's also beautiful to see. Yeah, it, it was. It's quite difficult doing it, but once you take a step back, you really, you know, when it all comes together, it, yeah, yeah, it really 
is. It is good. Well, well done to all of you. And I know that you've got other beach cleans that you're looking ahead to. The the work that you guys do just is constant. Uh, So well done to all of you. And if you want to encourage any of the youngsters who might be thinking about getting involved in charity work, and in particular, uh, the Nautilus Project, what would you say to them? I would say come down to one of the beach cleans that open to everyone. It's one of the easiest ways to get involved with the project and then go from there. What about you, Connor? Just do it. It's, (laughs) It's that easy. And... I mean, it's fun. It really is. And it's, you know, it's a good cause. We're joined by Aidan Brito, a Gibraltarian who blogs his football experiences on YouTube. He lives in the Czech Republic and travels Europe, exploring some of the most interesting football teams and their political ties. So welcome, Aidan. Thank you very much for for coming in today. Are you you just back home on holiday? Yeah, I'm back home on holiday until Monday. And how come you live in the Czech Republic? What, What takes you there? So I did my master's there between 2017 to 2019. I came back. I was working there. I really liked it. And then, like a lot of stories nowadays, I met my girlfriend there. And then eventually, she's the one who's dragged me back there. Besides that, I'm quite happy there. So I wanted a change. I mean, we'll get started on the football blogging now, but I'm just curious what the differences are living in the Czech Republic. It must be so different to, to Jib, no? Yeah, different culture, different mentality, work-life different balance, food. completely different, different food as well. I yeah. imagine you're stocking up on all your favourite yes, home yes. comforts. No, as you're <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I'm taking back a, a box of PG tips, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> PG tips, is that yeah. your, really? PG uh, tips or, yeah. I don't know, maybe some asafran as well. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 yeah that's a good idea. Maybe some sun tops. No? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Aidan, so what got you started in football blogging? So, basically, this is as well down to a lot of things. Um, I'm going to maybe shout out this one to my girlfriend. So, she she's all day watching blogs on YouTube. Whereas for me, maybe I listen to podcasts or music, but she's all day watching blogs. And then one day during our early stage, our relationship, she was like, oh, you should you should start. Because we used to go to a lot of football games and she's like, oh, you should start doing loads of vlogs, vlogging the football, you know, documenting them. And I was like, oh, that's not really for me. I don't really want to do that. And to be honest, whenever I go to a game, I'm always getting my phone out. I'm taking pictures of everything. So at that point, I was like, well, we'll take it. We'll see how it goes. And then eventually... It's become fun when we start adding political ties to it, when we start in some history of clubs and it's sort of, it's become sort of like a nice hobby to, to do on my spare time. And when you talk about the politics of football, how explain that. What kind of political um, analysis do you do on, on your Okay, videos? so this is down to different factors. So this started basically because when I, it's one, this is what's good about traveling. You're always going to meet people who know stuff that you don't know and have different life experiences. So before I moved to Prague, maybe like loads of football fans out there, you just watch a team, you know, there's nothing to it. And one time in Prague, there's a team called Sparta Prague, which is the biggest team in the country. And I had a friend from Chile at the time called Alonso. And I told Alonso, do you want to go to the Sparta Prague game? And he was like, no, I'm not going there. The right wing, the fascists. And I was like, it doesn't make sense. Why does this happen? It's just football. Yeah. And then eventually I started reading into it, started reading books, watching like maybe documentaries. Then eventually I got more into sort of like the European ultra culture. And then you realize how political football is in some parts of the world. I feel like if you go to like the Premier League or more Western leagues like the La Liga, it's quite, um, or big teams like Bayern Munich and so on, they're quite um, sort of like family orientated and touristic, you know, more like, uh, not capitalist, but more like marketing and, and kids what treating you as a, like a consumer. Whereas if you go to like a lot of teams in Eastern Europe that are like lower down in the lower divisions of Germany, Czech Republic, Serbia, Croatia, it's more political like a lot of like political history that's happened and football is like a great way for them to show what they can't show on the streets and the stands 
and it sort of takes a life on its own. That's really interesting. So you kind of delve into all this history and the, this politics in your YouTube videos. Yeah, and yeah. they've been, I mean, some of them, what, what did you say, 55,000 views? One of them's got 55, yeah. Then I've seen some others some that had 12K, 10, 10K. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's quite Did you good. ever expect to get such a response? No, I didn't, to be honest. The one that really blew up was when Rangers played last year in Sevilla. Um, I went with my friend to watch it. We just did like a silly video. And then that's the one that really blew up. That one blew up and it got up to like, now it's on like 20 something K views, but it blew up to like 10K or something in the first week. And then from there, just started doing more. And, and the algorithm though is a bit weird to understand. So I like maybe I do a video, it gets 10,000 views. And then maybe I do another one and it just gets 100 views. So the algorithm is something we need to understand and work on. But besides that, no, I never got to. But that's the trick, I guess, as well of these countries because these these sort of teams that I go to, they don't really get a lot of public exposure. Like I've been to one, my recent one, which got quite a bit, was Banekostrava. And I'm pretty sure not many people have ever heard of Banekostrava go to Banekostrava. Whereas if I went to Bayern Munich or Dortmund, everyone would go and they'd go more public exposure. Uh, any games really stand out in your in your memory whilst you've started doing this? Any that have like really um, kind of made an impact on you? Oof, there's quite a few. So in terms of politics or just crazy fan culture, the the first one I'd have to say is when I went to Serbia. I went to watch Red Star Belgrade, Serbana Vesda versus Partizan Belgrade. And that was just like a whole pyro show for like 90 minutes. It was like very hostile atmosphere that both clubs have a lot of political history. So like back before when Yugoslavia was a country, Croatia was sort of like as well under Yugoslavia and they had the uh, Josip Tito who was like the president of all of Yugoslavia and he sort of um, he sort of wanted to establish his football team in Serbia uh, through the army called Partizan Belgrade which he did establish and then Silvana Vesda Red Star they were really anti-Titoist they were like orthodox they didn't like you know what the what the politics stood for so that sort of stemmed down to today and the hostility in the in the in the game was crazy like Fireworks. It Super was, oh wow! It was nuts. Like proper. So, uh, ver- the, verging on violence. Yeah, and something. Were more, you a bit worried? Yeah, I was actually. I remember calling my mom. I was like, "Mom, like, not in a bad way, but like in a funny way because I not, not to, to say goodbye. No, not say goodbye <laughs> just in case. <laughs> but like, I've been to like games where like there's police and that's it. And sometimes it's a good sign when you see police, not in a bad way because you know the atmosphere is gonna be. But like this game, like normally you can see police when you get to the stadium. This was like in the city center, way before the stadium. Police on like every bus stop, every tram stop. It was really intense. I'm sure your mum was very pleased that in your uh, moment of need that you called her. Yeah, she yeah, was. Proud she was. moment. I was like, mum, I'm okay, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that one was quite intense. But something less lower was basically just on the outskirts of Berlin. There's a football team called Babelsberg. Now, Babelsberg, they were part of like East Germany. And a lot of East German teams were communists at the time, you know, between like, I think like 1949 to 1990. And they stayed left wing and communist. Whereas like a lot of like former East German teams are very like right wing and have been sort of like invaded by right-wing ideology and right-wing politics. So they were playing this team, Chemnitz, and it's quite interesting because Babelsberg is more like we accept immigrants, we want like liberal views in their, in their ground. They have an LGBT flag, they sell vegan foods, they don't sell any... So they're quite forward-thinking liberal in today's society, whereas Chemnitz, they, were, they sort of like had a relationship to the, this like hooligan Nazi racist group in the 90s. So it was quite a left-wing versus right-wing political game, and that one, it wasn't as intense. But like you could see that there was some sort of political element to the game. Really interesting. We don't have a lot of time left, uh, Aiden. No, no, you've been, you've been great. But if people want to follow you and your journey and perhaps as well, like, I mean, 50,000 views on one of them. Are you hoping you're going to continue this as almost like a career? <laughs> Um, can we keep our eyes peeled for that? We'll see, we'll see, to be fair, we'll because, see how it goes. Um, YouTubers I, can make money out yeah, of this. Yeah, you can, you can. I, I Honestly, I enjoy travelling. I'm going to keep going to more football games. 
So we'll see. But hopefully in the near future, yeah. And so, your username on YouTube so people can follow yeah, you. Yeah, it's called the Football Politician. Although I need, do need to speak more about politics in my videos. <laughs> Football <laughs> politician, politician. Yeah. Definitely one to follow. Thank you so much for coming no in. No worries. Thank you for having and me. Take and take care thank getting you. back uh, to Prague. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.